0: You're listening to 128, a podcast about spiritual maturity, real people, real talk, real life. Hey everyone, welcome to 128, based on Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28, which says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Today, it's my privilege to speak with Eric and Deborah Bryant. Eric serves as a pastor at Gateway Church in Austin, and uh, Deborah and uh, Eric and I have known each other for many years. They're great servants of the Lord, and I think you're going to be very blessed by their story and their journey towards spiritual maturity. So without much further ado, let's get into it. Well, I am here with Eric and Deborah Bryant. And um, Eric uh, and Deborah, we've known each other for about 15 years. Uh, by way of introduction, uh, they live in Austin, Texas, are the parents of two uh, great, I can't call them kids anymore, but they're uh, young adults, 20-year-old and an 18-year-old. Dr. Eric Bryant is also the author of a book that used to be called Peppermint-Filled Piñatas, but is now called Not Like Me and that's an exceptional book it's one i'd recommend to everybody to have in their library and um, uh, he has a website ericbryant.org and you can go there you can grab the book he has a great podcast as well i would check that podcast out i think it's called post christian and uh, and he's just phenomenal he is a pastor at our at the south austin campus of gateway church is that right did i say that right yeah and uh and used to be the executive pastor at mosaic and he's been a church planter and youth pastor and uh and he and deborah have been married for 27 years and um thank you guys so much for being a part of this
1: yeah thanks, thanks for having
0: us this. you two are uh really such spiritually mature people uh you are a couple that is not just a peer we've been around uh, kind of around the same length of time in ministry but you're also a couple that um, I deeply admire. I really do. Uh, I, I admire Eric for your insight and for uh, the way that you come at uh, church and culture. And Deborah, I enjoyed our conversations. Uh, the, I, we were just talking before the podcast uh, started to reminiscing of connecting in Germany and also insightful. And you are both real and practical and you love people and, uh, and love the Lord. And so, I'm just so thankful that others have an opportunity, maybe, to hear your story and uh, to get into your journey of faith. Thank you, Derek. Um, So, let me just, I guess I'll start at the very beginning here. Um, Let me go, ladies first, maybe. Uh, Deborah, did you grow up in a Christian house? Uh, Where did you grow up? Uh, Do you have siblings?
1: I do. I am the oldest daughter, and I have two siblings, both sisters. Um, Grew up in Irving, Texas. Uh, I lived in the same house my entire life until we got married at age 22. And uh, so know the area well. Uh Um, Yeah. And um,
0: so the oldest of three sisters. And what's the the what's the spacing? Pardon me? What's the spacing between you and your sisters? Oh,
1: good question. Um, so there's five years between me and my middle sister, and then another five between me and my youngest. Oh
0: wow, your parents were ambitious. They like never <laughs> they wanted ambitious. it to end.
1: Absolutely. Yes. And and, s- and we did grow up in a Christian household. Okay. Um, I remember, you know, back so long ago, going to Awana, um, learning all the Bible verses. Um, and then even in middle school, I was begging my parents, please let me go to Christian school. And so I, I had that opportunity. Wow. Um, and so it's interesting because I, I was one of the few that really wanted to be there, you know, but, but I enjoyed all of it from a young age. Yeah.
0: What, um, you know, there's so many that grow up in a Christian context. In fact, I was just listening to, a uh, um, A pretty famous, uh, couple of guys who grew up in an evangelical context and they've left the faith and there's so many, they kind of get used to those waters and, uh, they assume that the grass is greener somewhere without Jesus. Um, what's your experience of coming to faith? Because sometimes, you know, when you grow up in a cultural context, some people, they just, they assume they absorb it or they, they, uh, they remember a decision, but they're not sure if that was a real decision or they came to a decision later on. And some it was like, no, I said it then. I meant it. I knew what it meant. Um, what was that for you?
1: Mm, um, I love that question. I It brings back so many fond memories. Uh, but the, the one pivotal moment was when I was six years old and my dad and a friend were sharing their faith to i think it was one of his co-workers in the kitchen and i was spying on them standing next to the refrigerator and listening about jesus and his love and i just thought why hasn't anybody like so clearly told me about you know how to have this relationship and so for me um the first time i heard it so clearly i was just really taken with Jesus and it just seemed so amazing and, and what an offer of life and love that he has for us um, that I fell in love with him. Um, it felt immediate. Um, and so then, of course, my dad led me to faith. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are those dark nights of the soul, um, even if you've had that moment of falling in love with Jesus and, um, and it can be really hard and it can be, I think it's because of our love for him that it can often be so hard, um, and faith can be tested and all of that. And, and for me, um, during those times, I've just gone back to that, that love and, and there, there's no other source of life for me. Um, and, and it all boils back down to that. Like, yeah, but I've tasted, I've seen, I've heard, and I've felt that he is good, truly good.
0: I love that. Um, that you remember that, that that's the the love that really captured your heart. And, you know, uh, I remember listening to a professor who once said, there is no age on experience. And what he meant by that was sometimes people, You know, we all know what it means to be lonely and uh, that doesn't really have an age limit on it. You just know what it means to be lonely in the same way. Someone can't look at a six year and go, well, they can't have a meaningful experience with love because when you, you know, you encounter love, that can really change your life from the inside out. So, uh, so Irving, Texas, and, uh, and now you're a believer and you're growing up in a Christian house and you want to go to Christian school and you go to college, uh, I assume,
1: Yes. Yes. I went to UT Arlington, got a Spanish degree with a, of all things, a biology minor.
0: Wow. And then
1: the university of Washington for occupational therapy, another bachelor's
0: that old, that old, uh, Spanish biology, uh, combination, <laughs> yeah. that old, that old yeah. chestnut
1: and combination. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, uh, so why Washington?
1: Well, um, so we went to Seattle to help with a church plant. Uh, right after we were married, two months after marriage, and uh, so it was a huge change uh, in our lives, and and uh, that's that's why Washington. So yeah. did you
0: did you meet in Washington? No, no, you, or did you meet? You met in Texas. Yes, we did. So my whole family's from
2: Texas, and I also oh. grew up in a Christian home. Uh, but at age ten is when I came to faith. Although I kind of wandered away and came back to faith at 17. And, you know, I've kind of joked with others that, you know, fortunately when I wandered away, it was before I had resources or girls liked me. So I didn't get into too much trouble. Uh, but at 17 is when my faith really became my own. And about that same time is also when I felt called uh, to be a pastor. Oh wow, That's quite the double
0: whammy. That's a double, that's a double hit.
2: Yeah. In some ways it was, it was simultaneous. And I, I believe I was a believer. I just was, you know, kind of unaware of all that it took to really grow, you Mm -hmm. know, or unwilling to listen. Um, and in many ways, when we met uh, in the college group at 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 a church that we were both attending, she was at UT Arlington. I was at Baylor. She felt called to be a pastor's wife. I felt called to be a pastor. And so at first we hit it off as friends. And then a few months later, uh, it dawned on me that, you know, this girl is beautiful. Why is she just my friend? (laughs) (laughs) So asked her out, so our first date was uh, December of 1991. And we've been dating ever since, you know. Uh, But it's been one of those things where it was really beautiful how God uh, put us both in, I think, very, we're very fortunate, very healthy families. Both our parents have celebrated their 50th anniversaries. I feel like until much is given, much is required. And, you know, having a chance to grow up in a Christian home, having a chance to have parents who were really trying to live out their faith really gave us such a solid foundation. Um, And then when when an invitation to go help plant a church in Seattle, where it's at the time it was considered the most unchurched city in America, you know, we wanted to jump at that opportunity because there are lots of folks that didn't grow up with what we had and we felt you know, it'd be a beautiful opportunity to try to help people find what we've discovered that they might end up, you know, starting a, a family and, and raising their kids in a, in a
0: way that's following Jesus. So you guys are both, are you both second gen Christians or third gen Christians? Or is it deeper than that even? Probably deeper than that.
1: I think so. Yeah. yeah in many
2: ways, uh, uh, I'm the first pastor, uh, as far as we go back, Uh, but you know, uh, all of our, our, both our families were in Texas. So there's a lot of, I'm sure folks who were Christian and name only, you know, but, um, I I mean, I did have a grandfather. My mom's side, uh, wasn't really much of a go into church. And so my grandfather would say, you know, well, of course I'm a Christian. I'm not a Muslim, you know, like I'm an American, you know? So it it didn't fully translate. I'm a patriot.
0: Of course I'm a Christian.
2: (laughs) All right. Now, what's neat about him is actually it was was my wife. uh, I think this was probably when we were newlyweds that actually helped lead my grandfather to faith. Wow. In a way that I think, you know, he had kind of his persona with the rest of us. And she just kind of saw right through that and just kind of spoke right to his heart. And she was the one that, you know, he told, oh, don't worry about me. I I know Jesus, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it was one of those things that uh, she was able to get more intel from him than the rest of us could but yeah so for the most part we both come from families certainly with problems in our in our past Mm -hmm. uh and some brokenness and mental health issues and addictions and all that sort of thing and i think some of that is you know i think there is a notion that america was a christian nation but i think that, that a lot of that was a you know American churchianity Mm -hmm. you you could maybe say there was not a lot of discipleship you know there was a lot more what's going to happen to you when you die and so at least for when I look at my grandparents and and before that uh, there's just a lot of um, everything looks good on the surface but there were still lots of things happening that uh, the world doesn't necessarily need to know about
0: yeah boy I can relate to that and uh, I love, though, that you both have this story uh, where your parents modeled it and they were genuine about their faith, it sounds like. And both of you guys had uh, faith experiences very young and stuck to it, even though I know you wandered away in kind of high school and came back at 17. There's something, you know, so many wander away in their college years. They get, you know, the famous status by the time you hit your sophomore year, you know, like 80 percent. They wander, to drift away. And yet um, this Jesus thing, right? This, this relationship you have with Jesus really, uh, held you to it. And now you're young, you're, uh, going to Washington and that's, that's a culture shift from Texas. And, um, so many people, you know, when you go into like a post-Christian context, you know, they, they're like, well, of course you're a Christian. You grew up as a Christian. And then it kind of blows their mind when you're like, no, I actually chose this. Um, How was it for you on your, I mean, you're a young couple, you're starting out, you're in ministry, you're starry eyed, you know, like there's all of the stuff that comes with being a young minister. And then all of the insecurities. Can I do this? God, I know you called me. I want to do this as best as I can. This church is going to go incredible. Is this church going to go well? There's this high, low thing and you're having to navigate the early years of your marriage. And I'm certainly very familiar with all that. How did you guys navigate those years uh, as you moved up to Washington State? And how did that translate even to your faith walk?
2: Yeah, it was challenging. I mean, it was it was very challenging. We had four senior pastors the four years we lived there. Uh, I was the fourth. <laughs> so I was I was a co-pastor. Congratulations. Uh, Yeah, I know. It was way too early, but um, it was a really, in some ways, clever way of trying to plant a church, which basically uh, the the founding pastor raised enough money to try to bring on a full staff, and then that full staff would then plant, and I was going to be the youth and college guy, but two months before we were to move, they called saying, hey, we'd still love for you to come, but we haven't raised enough money to hire you. And so if you don't mind coming, you know, we still put you to work, but you'll need to find another job. And at that point, we felt such clarity about going that we went. And and I think in some ways what was really great about that is it did prepare us for how hard things would get, because it it was very difficult. Uh, The first pastor left uh, about nine months after we got there. and he, he basically had a nervous breakdown and then his brother-in-law was there for a little bit longer. Um, but he had come to work with his brother-in-law. So he ended up going on and, and, and continues to do ministry. The, the, the founding pastor is now an attorney and doing great. Uh, he just had never been diagnosed uh, with bipolar disorder. Mm. And so those two guys, just amazing people. And the third uh, Gary Irby is still there in the Northwest and has helped plant dozens and dozens of churches. So it was in many ways, it was kind of a dream team. But even still, uh, we had all sorts of challenges. I mean, the people we were reaching, uh, some of them were suicidal, uh, a lot of broken homes. Mm -hmm. So here we are newlyweds and we're dealing with teenagers and college kids, but also with with families with a whole lot of of brokenness. And I think it was very challenging, even as Mm -hmm. newlyweds, to to navigate all that in many ways we're so far away from home it's before the internet you know so we were you know rarely able to contact family and we would come home once a year and so i'm sure for you deborah it was it was also challenging in many ways as well
1: well i was just going to say from a very personal standpoint um you know eric and i are so different incredibly different. And so I knew that Eric knew that going into marriage, going into ministry together. And so, um, that was a really interesting time early in the marriage just to kind of tease out like, who am I, who are we, you know, who are you? And, and so from early on, I felt Eric's complete support just to let me be me, which, I think maybe a lot of um, people in ministry have that desire, but it's sometimes really difficult when there's all this pressure and, you know, preoccupation with what a pastor's wife's supposed to be um, that it can get tricky. But for me and Eric, I've always felt that support to just be me. So um, I'm not up on the stage. I'm, you know, I'm a pretty quiet individual. and then the other thing um, for me early on was just learning how to deal with um, criticism. Like there were times when you know maybe someone disagreed with Eric, and and that was awkward for me because I may be you know rather reserved, but I also have some little mama bear claws. Even though he's you know my husband and not a child, I I still felt very protective of him. And so learning to deal with with some of those emotions and to process that in a healthy way, it was a big uh, step for me.
0: Boy, if you only knew how much you and Melissa have in common with some of what you just <laughs> said. Um, you know, in some ways, some people, they look at their early years of ministry and of marriage, and it was, they it felt like Everest at the time. For others, they look back and they go, no, we kind of dealt with it as it came and yeah, looking back it was hard, but really going forward, we were just naive enough to not really know enough to be as disturbed as we could have been. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, as, was that what you guys it? read? Was that it? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, not only that, I think I, I often encourage couples when I'm helping them through premarital counseling to to do what we did. You know, moving away from extended family was really good for us. It really forced us to rely on each other and everyone we met were all friends of ours. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have my friends or her friends. And so in some ways it was like, you know, moving overseas. We were like missionaries. So we're newlyweds and, and things are going differently than what we hoped and i wanted to leave after the second year i was ready i'd met some guys down at mosaic and at the time it was called the church on brady but i was eager to move to southern california and that was right about the time she'd gotten into uh university of washington and wanted to study occupational therapy and so i i just had to lay down my desires and and submit to the plan which is you let her finish and get her degree and i'm really glad i did because i feel like it was in those difficult next 2 years that my character was refined even more ready for the next challenge to come mm-hmm. in la and we did see many people come to faith in seattle which was a really beautiful experience and you know it was a, it was a diverse church which was a new experience for for us and, and a lovely one and so in the end it really looking back it it was so hard because of of unmet expectations in terms of ministry but it was so good for us because it really drove us closer to each other as well as closer to god like our our relationship with the lord really um grew because we had to depend on him even just to pay the bills, you know, I mean, and we had some Ameri- so many amazing and miraculous stories. Like the place we ended up living was uh, with a 72 year old woman who had an upstairs apartment and she had an, an aunt who was a Sunday school teacher at the church in Waco. Wow. So there's a 95 year old woman in Waco who tells me about her niece in Seattle and she ends up letting us live in her place uh, for three years. She ended up passing away while we were living in her place. And in her will, she told her kids, uh, if you sell the house, uh, make sure you cover the difference in rent for Eric and Deborah. And uh, I mean, it was it was remarkable. Yeah. Um, I ended up meeting uh, the next door neighbor on our first day in Seattle. And, uh, this woman that I just talked about, her name was Ann vine. And she said to the neighbor, yeah, he's looking for a job. If you know anything. And he said, well, I just quit mine and they're in a real lurch. So if you called them, I bet they'd hire you right away. And they did, you know, it's like, we, we landed in a spot and we, and we got this job. Uh, she ends up getting into the school. The only school really that would have worked for this degree, uh, it just it was those kind of miracle moments from the lord that helped us through the really tough moments like we are really called to be together we are really called to this ministry so when things got tough you know remembering those moments was very helpful plus a lot of reading and rereading second corinthians 4 you know, <laughs> given this ministry so do not lose heart you know
0: do not uh, lose heart you know, i think
2: it's really good for us as hard as it was
0: there's something about you know um young couples that they are afraid almost of the fire they want everything lined up they want to have everything paid for and that's certainly better than not having everything paid for but there's something about uh being away from relatives and not being able to afford a high phone bill um you know there's something about uh not uh, having much but appreciating uh what you have i mean i remember uh melissa and i some of our earliest dates valentine's days this this sunday and uh, some of our earliest dates we we could afford enough to get a soft serve at mcdonald's but those were really sweet walks you know now those aren't those aren't days we want to revisit like we're happy to not have that happen again but um there's there's something about following god through the fire that i think uh tempers you and um and helps you for the fires to come if that makes sense
2: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, so, yeah in 1994, I had eight paying jobs in three different cities, two different states. You know, wow. just to make ends meet. You know, substitute teaching and and this job I told you about. You know, d- delivering photographs across the city of Seattle. You know, and Deborah was always you know taking odd jobs here and there. Yeah, we definitely had to, um, you know, make it work. And at the same time, we were fortunate enough to have parents who uh covered our college costs you know Deborah got full scholarship so she didn't have any debt you know so we're really fortunate uh it's not like you know it's not a rags to riches story it's definitely uh one of those things that we we felt really empowered by our parents and blessed but at the same time uh there's something beautiful about a willingness to take a risk and i'm I'm so glad we did it put us on a trajectory that um Gosh, I wouldn't trade the experiences we've had with anyone.
0: So so you were in Seattle for about four years. That's yes. right. And then came down to church on Brady. Mosaic yeah, had, had it turned it, to mosaic
2: yet. It had just changed its name to mosaic in January of 1998. We got there in June of 98.
0: So you were there at a very <laughs> uncontroversial time.
2: Yeah. 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 Erwin had been there about five years and I had met him. In 1993, as a college kid, oh. and even even was really intrigued about Mosaic then, but it already had this invitation we'd already said yes to in Seattle, and so ended up volunteering at Mosaic at first, and 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 you know serving as an intern. Although uh, I had worked out an internship with Tom Brady, and he left right before we got there. Oh wow! So cobbled something together for me. Uh, and so they put me in charge of the parking lot, and uh, let and we helped host a, a life group, and it ended up being a really fun experience because, um, yeah, I would rather be in the parking lot of a movement than preaching at a dying church, you know, and, and we'd had plenty of those experiences even before moving to Seattle. And uh, this uh, mosaic was just alive and and reaching people. And and those people were going overseas as missionaries, like within two or three years. Like it was a really vibrant and beautiful community. And it was about that time, too, uh, that I guess we were there a few months when Irwin asked me to start helping with the teenagers. And he he didn't really know much about our experience. He just said, I've seen you in the parking lot on Sundays serving, which I was kind of doing begrudgingly because like I said, they didn't have anything planned for me as an intern. And then that was actually the key to getting the the job as a youth pastor. And his, he first offered, you know, $6,000 for the year. It was obviously a part-time gig. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I ended up becoming a substitute teacher. And the first place I substitute taught, uh, basically hired me to teach uh, three days a week. Cause the guy I was subbing for didn't decided not to come back. Wow. And I, I couldn't take the co class cause I'm still going to be a youth pastor. And so they hired me three days a week, hired another woman to take the other two days. And we did that for a while. And, uh, then it was in that first year in LA, she finishes up her degree and we get pregnant. And so that's when our son, Caleb was born. He had a lot of medical issues ended up having open heart surgery at the age of two weeks. Wow! So it was very difficult, very trying, especially being so far from home. But it was also, um, again, one of those seasons where we felt God's kindness and grace and helping us through that The church family, loving on us. Like, you know, I, I don't know if we knew, how much a church family could become like family until we were on the West coast,
0: Texas, Washington, SoCal, uh, similar, but different cultures. Uh, You know, it, Texas has its own thing going on. Washington, Seattle definitely has its own thing going on. And SoCal is its own beast. And yet all fairly direct communication cultures, um, pretty creative, um, you know, upfront people, uh, what did what was the most difficult part culturally for you as a couple um, between those states? How did you navigate that? And then how did you navigate kind of the 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 darker moments where you were like, God, is this really, like, is this really our future? Is this really where you want us? You know, um, how did you navigate those?
1: Well, I I really feel like culturally. We really love cultures, and so it was just a fun exploration into the differences of, of peoples. And you know, I, I I do remember feeling like, oh yeah, they're not quite as um, friendly in Seattle, you know, as I'm used to in Texas. But that's not even true. It's just it expresses itself in a different way. And so once I was able to kind of get beyond the exterior to see more the why. I really feel like we just loved all the cultures. Um, We would go to birthday parties, you know, with neighbors across the street and, you know, they might be having dim sum or they might be having homemade pozole, you know? And so it was just, it was, that part of it was really fun. Um, Was there a difference
0: between Washington and SoCal? Oh,
1: yeah, Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah. Washington, it was interesting. I, I think the church, um, that we were part of was reaching maybe lower middle class. And so, you know, we had a a one family, an African-American family, and and when they would all come, it was, you know, extended family, Uh, it would be, you know, 20, 30 people. And when you're only a church of about a hundred, all of a sudden, you know, you're you're a diverse church. And then we had an Asian family and then they would bring their friends and family and and sometimes there could be 20 or 30 of of that group it was almost like little made up of little networks of people Mm -hmm. um and so that was kind of our experience there whereas in la it was a whole lot more young adults and young couples from everywhere Mm. and so the locals that are you know the angelinos they were even from all over the world you know los angeles has um i think if i remember right Uh, it's the second largest Filipino city in the world. It's the second largest Salvadorian city in the world, you know, it's the second largest Armenian city in the world and has 180 different languages spoken in the schools. And so our kids were the only white kids in their elementary school and all of our friends were either Hispanic or, um, they were Asian, you know, and, and we had friends that were Korean American and, and Filipino and japanese american in fact in the 13 years i was there i think i of all the weddings i did and i did a lot of weddings because as i mentioned there are lots of young adults at mosaic i think there was only one wedding where the couple was both white uh typically it was a, a couple from different ethnic backgrounds getting married or um you know two latinos or two asian americans you know so it was very, very diverse. And, and and it was beautiful. And like I said, it was just such a loving community because all, we were kind of all orphans. You know, on September 11th, the tragedy of that day, we all just, you know, many of us just showed up at Erwin and Kim's house. You know, Erwin McManus is the pastor there. And um, that's, that's where we would go. Mm-hmm. That's where we would Spend time, you know, whether it was a tragedy like that or or celebrating Thanksgiving. We just pulled together everybody else who was an orphan, and that became your Thanksgiving family, you know, mm. that year. So it was a really lovely time, and it was challenging, too. Uh, Seattle, I would say the people were more uh, agnostic or even antagonistic towards faith. In L.A., it felt more like um, folks who were coming you know, kind of that crowd you mentioned earlier, they'd either walked away from their faith uh, during college and now they were in LA trying to make their way in the entertainment industry, or they might be more of a, you know, believe in Jesus plus a whole lot of other things, you know, a little more of a new age philosophy, Uh, former Catholics, you know, there was a lot more, it felt like it was a more spiritually open city than Seattle. Uh, for sure. And, but it was also challenging in other ways that, um, it felt like there was a lot of conflict. Uh, there was a lot of getting in some ways at this point, I was a youth pastor and then I ended up starting help new campuses. And so even kind of jumping in and, and, and serving in places where a campus, um, I mean, basically a church might've been, um, uh, struggling. We'd go in kind of, to rescue it and sometimes it would turn into a a campus. And so those kind of transitions, you would end up in conversations with people who didn't like what Mosaic was doing, didn't understand what Mosaic was doing. And Irwin really has done an amazing job of really reaching the more intuitive folks that the church tends to overlook. And so the folks that were in these campuses or churches before they were campuses struggled with that or the folks that grew up in it, and the church on Brady didn't like some of the changes. So it felt like there was, it felt like in Los Angeles, people were triggered all the time. <laughs> and that's a generalization, nation. Uh, but it also felt like there was, um, you know, a, a culture of, of looking for who you can find to open that door for you. Mm-hmm. And so there was, uh, um, some challenges when it comes to to that too, you know, we're in Austin now and Austin's very much uh, kind of a jaded, uh, cynical crowd when it comes to authority. It's the blue dot in a red state, you know, they're anti-establishment, you know they're they're anti the man uh they're anti anything outside of austin they don't like chains you know and, and yet,
0: everything outside of austin is moving to austin right now <laughs> oh,
2: yeah and in fact being in austin and we're in south austin which is where keep austin weird originated and in in south austin i mean we just say we're from texas you know we don't even say we moved here from california because uh, that that's not uh, that's not what they're looking for.
1: <laughs> well, and you
0: can say you're from Texas. Like you can say you're right, right. We're, we we really from Texas. What would you say kind of, you've looked back at all these years of ministry and did you have different points that you think were the toughest points for you in your walk with God? Uh, like when you look back and you go, actually that was the most difficult point in my personal walk. And that might not be, Caleb's situation it might be something completely different but when you look back what do you, what was for you the most difficult point individually and then what do you think you did as a couple that you feel like um really brought god into the mix or help you get through it as a couple
1: mm-hmm. yeah well um just briefly commenting on Caleb that It certainly was a very difficult time, but it's amazing. The grace that we had in those moments, Uh, it it really is amazing. Because when I look back on it, I think, wow, how did we do that? Why were we so optimistic? Like things were really bleak there in the beginning. Um, He was G-tube fed and everything, Uh, spent two months in the NICU. So there were some scary days, but, uh, but they were beautiful days. They were good days. Um, I would say when I look back thinking about the difficult days, it would be as um, the Lord was so blessing, you know, the things that eric was was doing, whether, you know, I think at one point he was a seminary pastor or seminary teacher he was executive pastor he was writing a book and and doing several other things i traveling i don't even remember all of it and i remember just feeling so happy that things are going so well you know for for him and for the ministry and all of that but little by little over time it can really start to take a toll and at least for me just this loneliness kind of set in and i started to wonder um do i mean as much to him as the ministry does um and so that was a very difficult season um and and you know i think in marriage it may be common you know for people just to want their spouse to be able to read their mind like but i learned through that season that he can't read my mind and if i don't tell him uh, clearly how i'm struggling he's not going to know mm. and so that was a difficult season and for me i just really felt like being honest and transparent was really the only way forward and trying to get ahead of it rather than letting it, um, you know, really get deep roots. I I remember one time he had traveled to Australia and I was just not wanting him to go. And, um, you know, in the past he would say things like, well, if you ever don't want me to go, you know, I won't. And I said, well, I don't. And then he did uh, for whatever reason. And uh, I just remember that was a difficult season where I, I didn't want to pick up the phone, you know, Mm -hmm. as embarrassed as it is to say, uh, I, I had some hurt feelings for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So
2: I was calling from Australia. That's what, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and
1: that was the season that was about
2: 2007 when was more honest about how hard it had become and, and even uncertain, you know, if, being married to a pastor is a good idea and it didn't mean she didn't want to get married to me she just was hoping i'd be open to a different career and in many ways that's the wake-up call i needed to realize i have workaholic tendencies and so really in, in about 2007 we started going through counseling and it was very helpful for us and something we highly recommend to everyone and then even here in austin going through recovery, both of us on our own, you know, with a group, mm-hmm. a group of ladies with, for Deborah and, and me with some men and, and just really doing some of the deeper work that we didn't even know we needed, um, mm-hmm. that, that I wish I had known year, years ago. And part of what was so beautiful, even in the season here in Austin is Gateway is such a, um, like mosaic is, is very much reaching people that wouldn't necessarily go to other churches, uh, not as, as far on the artistic or intuitive side, but a lot more of the engineers and the and the skeptics that work in the tech industry and that sort of thing. But what's been beautiful is I feel like not only have we seen people reached that uh, we wouldn't have seen reached in other churches, but, but we've grown in our walk with Jesus more these last 10 years than I think we would have expected just because it's one of those things, the more you grow, the the more you realize how much further you have to grow, Mm. (laughs) you know, and these last 10 years have been just so uh, challenging at this point. You know, we moved here 10 years ago. We were starting to, our kids were moving into middle school and the challenges that come with that, but also um, doing ministry in South Austin and some of the challenges that come from a skeptical audience, uh, and, and broken people and, and hurt people, hurt people. But knowing now how to handle that, like I said, in LA, it felt like everyone was triggered all the time. And when I say that it was really me, that was always triggered <laughs> all the time. I didn't know what to do with all the emotions that others had. And it was always, um, you know, I was always on the edge because I was working too much. So here learning how to be that source of, of absorbing the the anger and the angst, whether it's from our kids or from the people we're serving and absorb it and then breathe back peace and hope and and learning how to do that. It's a phrase I heard Tim Keller use years ago and just thought was so helpful that these last 10 years have been just another beautiful part of our journey of growing more in our walk with God, but also in our marriage.
0: I love your guys' transparency in that. Um, years ago, we were listening to, my wife and I, we were in a, in a missionary class and yeah. listening to the president of and his wife of the organization. And um, she made a comment. She said, uh, one of the things that we've had to learn is not to let the foxes run wild in the vineyard. Yeah. And, uh, and that always struck me. It's, uh, it's, it's something that, that Melissa and I, we were like, yeah, we need to work at that. As you look back and you, you've you already given some incredible gems, you know, don't be afraid of counseling. Listen to your spouse. Um, you know, when it comes to following God, keep, the, keep on mission, keep doing the ministry, but allow God to shape how you're approaching that. Be introspective, have some self-reflection. As you guys look back, because you are mature believers and you um, you know, 128, one of the things I like to say is because scripture is very clear, you know, spiritual perfection isn't attainable in this life, but spiritual maturity is an expectation. And here you are spiritually mature believers. You, as you said, grown a lot, got a lot more growing to do. But um, again, that's also, by the way, a mature perspective, a mature viewpoint. And as you look back and at couples or individuals, maybe that are kind of immersed in the process of spiritual maturity, you know, they're like, I just don't know if things will ever change. You know, he loves me. He loves me not. Uh, you know, I I don't know if they'll ever get it or see my value or here's my opinion on this. And if only the church did that and took my opinion, then everything would be great. And then of course the church does, and then things still aren't great. You know, um, what piece of advice would you give, um, to men, women, couples, whomever, uh, Christians, just kind of, kind of steeped in it.
2: Well, I think for me, I would say looking at recovery as a part of your journey needs to be a priority. I mean, I I feel like every believer needs to go into the the 30s, maybe sooner if you can, with an openness to. I have wounds that are affecting how I treat people that I don't even know about, and you—you you, know—often you don't know what you don't know. And for me, recovery was such a great experience. It, it all started with with our lead pastor here, John Burke, saying, "Okay, we're going to do a sermon series through uh, the Twelve Steps, and I want you to think through what you want to overcome by the end of the series. You know, what what you want to work on." And I remember thinking, oh, "Man, I like to talk about what I've over." come in the past not what i'm working on and as i'm thinking that he says and if you're not sure what to what you're needing to work on choose pride <laughs> <laughs> I, thinking, I don't want to choose that and so i ended up choosing to work on my short temper but as i started doing the work realizing behind it was actually anxiety and control issues and my workaholism and so real well, sends
0: sorry uh, for those of you who are tuning in i, I apologize that's my my computer going off go ahead sorry
2: so all that to say yeah recovery was a real game changer i think in my walk with jesus but also in our marriage i think it, and, and even our parenting i think i'm a much better parent knowing now some of the wounds i i was carrying than i did before
0: mm. Mm, yeah. good word good word
1: um for me um when i listened to your question i I definitely heard the marriage component of the question and i mean it it is so sad we've we've personally had so many friends um who are really dear to us we know very well that have been married 25 plus years and they're getting a divorce and, and we've walked through so many things with them and, and it comes as much of a surprise to us as it probably did to their spouse when they found out, Um, including um, a very dear family member of mine that's walking through this Mm. uh, currently. Um, And so I, I just want to encourage, you know, people that don't give up, you know, 25 years is, a real a real investment of your life and i i didn't realize that 25 years so many people struggled i thought by then you know you're home free but but i think when the children start to leave the house people kind of think oh i've got you know subconsciously oh i've got one more chance at life here you know and to try to get into a better situation and i just I don't know. There, there's just something so beautiful about 25 years. And there's something that really needs to be pushed through, you know, because the beauty is on the other side of that that wall. You know, the wall looks so ugly, maybe has graffiti. It looks like it's hopeless. But, um, but you won't know what's on the other side of the wall until you push through. And for me, I mean, the only reason that a person would be willing to do that is, you know, faith that, that there's someone that loves them, that's guiding them through this, um, God, you know, that, that has a plan for them and is not going to abandon them. Um, so, yeah, I, I think um, there's a lot of heartbreak on giving up on something that, you know, has been such a big part of your life for all these years. There's it's some, hard to watch.
0: There's something about perseverance, right? In the, yes, it's absolutely. It's interesting that Paul keeps talking about perseverance. And um, I think as a young believer, you read that word and you go, oh, yeah, boy, we should really persevere. And then you have to persevere and uh, yeah. you start to see the value of it. Thank you for your faithfulness in ministry. Thank you for your faithfulness as believers and as a couple. And um, keep going, keep going, because uh, the world needs more people like you thank you thanks, 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 thanks so much you. Right, take care you too